Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Our Western world is suffering from the hunger of spirit. We need God and the nourishment of the soul. Welcome to Trending. Wisdom to kick us off today from Venerable Fulton Sheen. Timory is off. She will be back tomorrow, but it's Brooke Taylor here with you. Always glad to be with you. It's been a pleasure to join you for the last week or so. And one more day today as we talk about Eucharistic revolution, the greatest gift God can give us, his very self, and drawing deeper into the mystery. Father John Burns will be joining us. He is a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, but he'll also be one of the presenters at the National Eucharistic Congress July 17th through the 21st at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, which we will also touch on this hour. And... I don't even need to enumerate it. We know that our times are depressing in a lot of ways as we look around and we see the crisis of of drug addicts in our cities and just the bizarre new world emerging with AI, the border, and challenges in our own homes, mental health with children so often these days. But of all of these things, I think, too, therein lies the course, the path that we are made ready for revival. And all of the prophets tell us that back through time and again. We see this from the Old Testament, obviously, up through, and particularly in our own era here and now. And when he was visiting the United States in 1979, John Paul II, Pope, now Saint, issued a warning. And so today, I was thinking about some of the different things that he has shared, the prophecies in a sense almost, and went back and studied that today. And I want to share just a little snippet of his remarks, but how this warning rings true today. And remember, this was 1979. He said, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has experienced. I do not think the wide circle of the American society or the wide circle of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, and between Christ and the antichrist. This confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence. It is therefore in God's plan and is a trial which the church must take up and face courageously. That statement, and it really underscores too, Sister Lucia of Fatima, the message, the warning for the rest of her life about the great confrontation over marriage and family and the culture. And are we up for the challenge? Cardinal Seurat talks about that and and just the root that we need to be rooted to Christ, the nourishment that we need. So it all goes back to that source, which is Christ. And I think that really sets the table for the timing and the need for Eucharistic revival. It is time. And so for the first time in 83 years. A National Eucharistic Congress is set to take place in the United States. And I was talking to my mom today 
because it's her 80th birthday today. And so we were, we were talking a little bit about history and she was born in 1944. So we were talking about D-Day, which will be 80 years. Can you believe that? 80 years since D-Day this June, June 6th, I think it is, 1944. But it's been 83 years since the last Eucharistic revival. And so you think about the fragility of freedom, where our faith was 80 years ago, and what's been passed down and what we need to hold on to and restore. And just wanted to play a quick little tape. This is funny. It is an actual tape recording on our way to Mass this morning for my mom's birthday. She pulled up in her car. She does still actually have a tape recorder of a recording that she did with her own mother. Her mother was born in the year 1900. And the purpose was to capture what life was like, how they lived, how they practiced their faith in that era. Uh, My grandma died in, I think it was 1990. But there's something so personal about catching just the voice of someone from long ago. And this is only about 20 seconds, 25 seconds, but just wanted to share a little insight as we talk about roots and handing on our faith into what she said and was transmitted to her. I think we have that ready. Take a listen. Our mother always taught us to say our morning and night prayer. That's one thing we had to do was say our morning and night prayer. And we always said our prayer before and after meals. And um, when we couldn't go to church, like I said, then we would pray the rosary. And we knew the rosary because we were taught the rosary. We prayed the rosary. We knew the rosary. Other than that, I guess that's about it. There we go. I mean, matter of fact, right there. And isn't it amazing all these years, the, the, the old cassette tape, <laughs> it still kind of holds its quality. But there she is talking about being uh, handed down the faith. They all knew their rosary. We inherit the past. And inheritance brings duties. And at the top of the show, we played that clip from Fulton Sheen there, who grew up also. He was on a farm in the Midwest in Illinois. And he said that his family life was simple, but the atmosphere was Christian. They said grace before and after meals as well. They prayed the rosary every evening. So again, restoring the richness of our roots, the inheritance of one Catholic faith, of Christ, and everything really goes back to that one thing, our first love, that sometimes we can forget or we can focus on the externals. And so throughout the day here today on Relevant Radio, we've been making a special point to focus on Eucharistic revival, personally inviting you, your family, your parish, to join us for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, July 17th through the 21st at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana for the National Eucharistic Congress, the first in 83 years. And joining me now in studio, special guest, Chief Financial Officer of Relevant Radio is Preston Alex to tell us a little bit more. Hello, sir. I am so excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's it's so good, Preston, to actually hear your voice yeah. and get the scoop on this because I know you've really been kind of the man inside the numbers and looking at where we're at to, yeah. I mean, first of all, there's so much competing for our attention when I think about this revival in July and all of the things we have to budget and save for. And, you know, there are in families, summer concerts, Disney resorts, travel sports teams, camping weekends. Not to mention just general living expenses. So I guess with this event, Preston, why should we prioritize this, this experience and travel to Indianapolis for this event? So I think you kind of highlighted it a little bit, but these congresses, these these massive Catholic conventions, if you will, 
don't happen very often. I mean, we're talking once in a generation kind of event here. You know, the last one was in Philadelphia. They had like 1.5 million people show up. I mean, they just just wow. overran the area, just showing the love for Christ. And so when when we look at this as a once in a generation opportunity, once in a lifetime for some people, it is something that that you you want you want to be a part of. I, I I hear these stories about World Youth Day in Denver and and how how the, so many conversions happened from that. So many great memories came from that. And and now we have another event similar to that where it's going to be a reawakening of the Catholic faith in our country and and really just filling people with the Holy Spirit, getting those sacramental graces when you're there with tens of thousands of people, with with lots of bishops, with hundreds of priests. There's there's going to be just countless of graces poured out on people that day, and that whole week. And I, I just encourage everybody to, to make the effort to come up. I mean, God doesn't say that our faith is going to be easy. He says, take up the cross, make it a little bit of a sacrifice to, to show up for him. Yeah, and honestly, I was thinking about that. We and I don't mean to bring up specific names, so I won't, but just say different popular amusement parks. It is incredible the cost that or even popular concert tickets and people yeah. don't even seem to blink and say, I'm going to go. We need this experience. And when you mm-hmm. think about the implications, like you said, the fact that this is once in a lifetime, it's yeah. so important. We are in critical times. And also the fruit of it. I mean, generational yeah. fruit. There could be, and I expect there will be, vocations that come from an event like this. Yeah, I think I think the Holy Spirit is going to outpour on anybody that comes there. If you if you personally know somebody that is that is on the fence, is lukewarm, is is struggling with their faith, is doubting, then then you need to bring them to this event in in July to, in Indianapolis. It's it's going to be something that can just reawaken their faith. It can teach them so much. And, and like I said, that sacramental grace of processing through the Indianapolis streets with 10,000 more thousands of people. I mean, they might even have a hundred thousand people processing through the streets. One of the largest Eucharistic processions. I, I can only imagine that that's going to change somebody's heart. Um, and, I know that I I am so excited. I I I I know that we're gonna have great talks. Patrick Madrid, Drew Mariani, Father Rocky, you, you, you Brooke, you're gonna be there. I, yeah. What are you excited about? Oh well, I think it's everything. I you know when for a few years ago we had gone to the canonization of John Paul II and we were able to to take three of our boys. And when you're there, and even when you're watching it on television, it's surreal. There is this sense of immense zeal that for a moment, it's like almost beatific in nature. All colors, ages, ethnicities, worshiping with one heartbeat. We're not worshiping a saint or we're worshiping our Lord and the joy that that saint is experiencing, you know, in eternity with the beloved. And so just thinking about that here on our own soil, what an incredible moment to be a part of, because that's the only thing that I could compare was being at a canonization to think about what that would be like. And I know for my own sons, we they still, this was years ago, 10 maybe, they still talk about it very often. And so you think of one five-day period of time and how it can have a lifelong impact. It's hard to say <laughs> what would be most exciting. I think just the expectation, because Often you realize you have things on your agenda, but the Lord gives you something totally unexpected, yeah. far more than you could imagine. And, you know, that is, when in life do we get that that often? You know, mm-hmm. it's such a adventure. And 
uh, a gift. And I guess I want to ask you about that too, in terms of the schedule, because I'm looking yeah. at the beginning is just uh, July 17th. That's a Wednesday, yeah. culminating on Sunday, the 21st, which is uh, the family rosary across America, the closing liturgy, yeah. the, the papal delegate. But so tell us, I guess, logistically, planning and preparing is it a deal breaker if you can't be there for all five days so it's definitely not a deal breaker if you only come for a day or two or weekend or or if you come for all five that'd be great they do have it scheduled and planned where each day has a theme and those themes build upon each other so when you come for the whole time you see the whole context the whole picture the whole journey through our faith through the eucharist through through the the programming sessions that they have and so i would i would encourage everyone to try and make it there for all five days but i know that the cost and the the, and the difficulty sometimes with work schedules things like that sometimes it won't work out but even even a few days is going to make a a tremendous impact uh i I know that i'm most looking forward to the relevant radio session on friday Mm -hmm. um from 2 to 4 p.m it's a special experience if you already have your tickets make sure you go back and and sign up for the relevant radio session. It's, you know, Father Rocky and Patrick Madrid and Drew Marion, they have something really special planned. It's going to be incredible. We're bringing some of our amazing relics of the apostles and and St. Faustina is what I heard. So it's going to be a very powerful place. Very, 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 very much filled with grace. Um, I would not be shocked if there's healings and and pouring of of conversions uh, from people that are just on the fence and then all of a sudden just get transformed by the spirit. So I'm looking forward to that. Just so everybody knows from a schedule standpoint, they, they are requiring everybody to sign up for breakout sessions. Okay. So those people that, that want to see say father Rocky or Drew Mariani, or they want to see some of the other great speakers that are going to be there, like Bishop Barron or father Mike Schmitz or Joseph, sister Josephine or sister Miriam. These, these great speakers are, are, are going to be there. And if you want to see them live and and get a part of one of their sessions, you need to get your admission ticket now, so that way you can sign up. Because those spaces only hold so much, so many people. Those, especially those breakout sessions, they might have a space for anywhere from a thousand to five thousand, and we're looking at possibly eighty thousand people being there. So you got to believe that those breakout sessions will be filled. And if you want to guarantee your spot, you have to sign up. And the way, the best and easiest way to do that is through the Relevant Radio website. Um, right on the homepage right now, you can click on the banner or relevantradio.com slash travel. Um, there's also a link in our app. That's going to get you plugged in where we can have um, admission, discounted admission tickets for you. And we have travel packages to, to help you get there if, if, you, if you need help and if you want to travel with the Relevant Radio family, be a part of our, 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 our group. Yeah, front and center, like you said, Preston, whether it's the website or the app, will you join us is the question. Lock in your spot. I like that you have a little button on there on the website. I just pulled it up on the app. And when you mentioned the breakout session, I'll just touch on this as well, too, because I think it's so notable. There's been so much incredible care and I would, I'm sure, discernment going into customizing these sessions really for uh, spiritual growth in a deep and power-packed way with some of the greatest thinkers and theologians of our time. And the themes focus on everything from um, Awaken, which is a youth experience, to Cultivate, which is a family experience, to Renewal, Encounter, and just how beautifully 
planned and thought out and intentional these are. But then, of course, the as we have mass together and adoration, the liturgies, all of those interspersed. So as you said, it's almost like a crescendo every day leading up to um, then that final day. And so in terms of timeline, it sounds like hotels are filling up and that's why we're really focusing on this now to get in and get your Yeah, I mean, yeah. So whether you travel with one of our packages or not, you got to sign up and you got to get your travel arrangements made now. Uh, There's a NASCAR event there that week. There's a WNBA event there that week. There's a sorority event there that week. There's going to be a lot of people around just from a secular standpoint, um, not even the people for the Catholic conference. So we need to make sure that we we schedule and get this all figured out now so that way we're not edged out by all the other travelers to that area. So we need to make sure that we, we do that. You guys right now that are listening, the, the, I'm telling you, the hotel rooms, they're, they're selling out the downtown areas. I looked, I could not find a single hotel room downtown for that week that's available except for like one room that's like 1300 a night. That's crazy. Mm. So, okay. you know, our, our packages get significantly lower and cheaper than that, but it's downtown right by the stadium. If you want to find something farther out and, and arrange it yourself, that's great. But you can still get the, the the discounted admission ticket to the to the event itself through us, and and I recommend you do that as soon as you can because, like I said, the breakout sessions are filling out, and yeah. and this isn't something that comes around every day. I mean, we really want everybody to experience the Eucharist in a new way there. Yeah, 83 years. I mean, <laughs> it really yeah. is amazing and beautiful. And yeah. you also have, uh, if people have questions, we can connect and get those questions asked as, answered as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, we do have a, a, a phone number available if you want to talk to someone. That okay. phone number is 844-400-9559. Again, that's 844-400-9559. That's, that's if you want to talk to someone that can help you with the travel arrangements, answer questions about that that type of, of arrangements, what it would take, what it would cost, those things. Um, otherwise, if you just go to the website, you can enter in there, in there the... Um, there's a form, so just say you're interested, and and they can get back to you with all the information that you need and questions you might have. And unfortunately, I I I think Roland Radio is a blessing, but it's unfortunate that a lot of parishes and dioceses right now. When I look, I, I don't see a lot of information about them traveling, and so my, I know my own personal parish has already shared that they're not going to be going there. So I, I know that this is a blessing for a lot of people that that if they want to go with a group and be a part of something larger, the Relent Radio family, uh, we offer that. Yeah, and thank you, Preston. Thank you for your work, your clarity, and just everything that you've done in order to coordinate this so that souls can get there and be transformed. And this can be, um, you know, an answer to prayer for so many. But again, getting the information out is key. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Preston Alex, CFO of Relevant Radio. God bless you. Thank you for your trusty work and stopping by. Yeah, and we're going to take a quick break. Thanks, Preston. Father John Burns is on standby. He's up next. He's one of the presenters actually at the National Eucharistic Congress. I actually had a, a chance to experience adoration with Father Burns and a few thousand other women just a few weeks ago. Had no idea that we would be talking tonight. And something happened that day, an encounter that I witnessed. I'll, I'll tell you about it after the break. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory back in a moment here on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us.
is my sacred sink song when I have a really stressful day and I'm doing the dishes and I'm not listening to relevant radio. It's going to be Pange Lingua Gloriosi. That is the sublime praise of St. Thomas Aquinas, considered the most beautiful of his hymns of Corpus Christi. And on June 19th, 2022, which was the Feast of Corpus Christi that year, the United States Council of Catholic Bishops began a three-year focus on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist that is intended to be a national Eucharistic revival. So we've been focusing on that really throughout the day here on Relevant Radio, certainly here on Trending and for the rest of the hour. That revival now is only about 140 days away, so it's getting close. And so we're preparing both in exterior sense, talking to Preston Alex with logistics planning, but also our interior, readying our interior lives to enter into a once in a lifetime event taking place Indianapolis, July 17th through the 21st. Welcome back to Trending. It's Brooke Taylor. Glad to be with you. And over the last week, really, so, so delighted to be joining you. Tim Marie will be back tomorrow. And joining me now is Father John Burns as we continue this theme throughout the hour of Eucharistic Adoration of Real Presence, our Lord enthroned in the Blessed Sacrament. Father John Burns is a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, preaching missions, directing retreats throughout the country. And he's also the author of Lift Up Your Heart, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Francis de Sales. Oh, and he'll be one of the speakers at the National Eucharistic Congress. Welcome to the program, Father Burns. Hello. Hey, Brooke. How are you? Greetings, everybody. Yeah, thank you for connecting. It's It feels really providential. I had mentioned before going into the break because just about two weeks ago, I was blessed to experience adoration with you at the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference, over 2,000 ladies adoring there. What an event. Yeah, holy moly. That's one of the, the great women's conferences in the country. They just do such a remarkable job. And yeah, I think it was like 2,700-some women gathered just to, to be with the Lord. And our theme this year was the Eucharist. And uh, yeah, it just was yeah. a heavily anointed day, heavily yeah. anointed day. I, I, and I, it's interesting because I really was bridging that. I was thinking about that and then this event in um, in July coming up. And I've actually emceed that event in the past, but for the first time, this was a chance for, for me to go. I just went as an attendee with my dear best friend. And it's hard to pick a highlight. I think it was like a double zenith because it was Holy Mass with mm-hmm. Archbishop Timothy Broglio and Adoration with you and of course our lord was present front and center both uh in the blessed uh blessed sacrament but from your perspective as a priest what was that like for you adoration every time what is what is it like for you yeah i mean my own conversion passes through eucharistic adoration i just remember as a young boy like a first grader having really powerful experiences at adoration uh at my my catholic grade school and then years later it was always in the worst of the angst coming before the Lord, especially in college and just sitting in the mm-hmm. silence and really like venting my heart and inviting him to just come and sit with me in the mess. And it was always, adoration was just always there. And so it was always a place that, yeah, I just, I felt the Lord really walking with me through the, the trenches. So when I get to preside at a holy hour, it's always a great privilege. And then as we did at the Columbus Women's Conference, we'll often do it at many of these large events, we'll have a Eucharistic procession and yeah, it's just such a privilege during those processions. You you move through the crowd, and you kind of have this route that zigzags through the whole of this arena that we were kind of a large warehouse. But to be, yeah, to be the the, the donkey, you know, like carrying Jesus in, uh, the one who's somehow asked to be this, uh, yeah, this this mode of transport so Jesus in the Eucharist can just move through the crowd and be 
so close to his people is, is always deeply moving. In particular, in Columbus, I just was, not what it was, I was just totally overwhelmed by the beauty of the Eucharist and, and our Lord's just tremendous solicitude and desire to, to come to uh, the hearts of these women gathered. I just, yeah, I was overwhelmed. I mean, I think I, I cried through the entire procession. I was like, yeah. it was awesome, but they have this cameraman with you who's kind of following you and saw me. There's a camera on my face. I'm like, man, can we just tell him to turn that off? Because I'm all full of tears. I'm just so overwhelmed by, by how much God loves us. And then, yeah, it's just so especially tangible in adoration and, and during the Eucharistic procession. So such a privilege, my goodness. Oh. And so personal, as you talked about how, how your own testimony passes through uh, the Eucharist and, and from such an early age. And I want to just throw the phone lines out. Our studio line is open, one 914 for anyone to share a Eucharistic encounter and experience that you might have had that profoundly changed you or um, transformed you. I wanted to tell you something that I think demonstrates this, and that was that being there at that event, experiencing adoration, uh, I was with a friend that several years ago, her 11-year-old daughter collapsed during a piano recital and died. And as you might imagine, it was a tragedy that completely devastated the family. They are converts to the faith. So they started Mm -hmm. out as Mennonite and her husband actually went to seminary. And it wasn't until he was in Oxford getting his PhD that they became Catholic. But the Eucharist, and and I I would say Blessed Mother, were the two biggest hurdles for them to surmount. But after the, you know, earnest seeking, they both fully were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist. So fast forward to you, carrying our blessed Lord enthroned in the monstrance with, again, 2,000 other souls at this event, we were both on our knees with our heads bowed all the way down to the ground. And I could hear the procession drawing near, but my friend could not. And so, and she told me later that she felt this penetration of heat, which caused her to look up. It was only because she felt heat, someone was nearby that she looked up. And when she lifted her head, you had stopped and you were standing right in front of her, holding the monstrance directly in front of her. And she felt his presence. And, and it is. And, you know, last night on the show, we were talking with Brother Richard, uh, a monk from Ireland, about the danger of following emotion. But this is something that, and I, and I just wonder your take on this, that seems to go beyond the senses or emotion to just the heart of truth. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we, it, there's always this great, I love to actually talk about the role of the emotions and even in the moral life. It's a part of our tradition, yeah. but, but typically in our culture today, we, we start with the emotions, you know, and we seek only the emotions and kind of live by the emotions, which is such a tempest. You probably talked about that last night, <clears throat> but we, we also say that Jesus himself lived in, in, in the flesh. He took our whole human condition out. So he lived the most properly passionate life a human being can live, you know, like he loved yeah with passion. He was angry with passion. <clears throat> he was sorrowful with passion. And there was no discord between his emotions and his intellect. So, so we get to kind of ponder what it is to have an ordered emotional life and then how to bring that into the way that we worship. Because the tradition also tells us that to do an, a good act uh, without passion is a good thing. To do it with passion is a better thing. The goodness is, is the better, the further its, its goodness extends. So to, to worship the Lord passionately or to let our emotions uh, contribute to the fullness of our worship is actually really the apex of our response to God mm-hmm. in the blessed sacrament and the holy sacrifice of the mass. And so you'll often see in those processions, a strong emotional response. We're not searching that out as the, as the lead, though sometimes that is what leads someone to a conversion, but 
But often what you'll see is people just uh, stricken to tears or just yeah. almost shaking sometimes in awe. And that's a, that's a, the emotions are responding to a more supernatural, more profound reality, which is the person discovering like God is actually here. Even though my senses tell me that's just bread in a, in a beautiful golden uh, ciborium or monstrance, but, but something much more than my senses, my spiritual sense tells me uh, my Lord is here and I have to bat on worship. So how powerful that your friend knew him, not by seeing, but by sensing that, that inner sense, and then was able to turn her senses to him and then likely experience the emotions respond uh, along with the movement of her heart, which is like, my Lord and my God, like here yeah. you are, I, I bow down in gratitude and awe. And that Dominus asked, it is the Lord, you know, this proclamation of belief. But, you know, thinking about, and I know it's something that's that's often talked about here on Relevant Radio, because the number one prayer request is for children who have fallen away that that don't believe, who have left the faith. And, and you know, studies come out and say only one-third of adult Catholics in the U.S. believe the teaching on the Blessed Sacrament. What would you say to those in that percentage who struggle to believe well, yeah, maybe I'd, I'd speak to both groups. So struggling with belief and then also the role of intercession for our, our lost children, because that's always a perpetual one. But uh, uh, on, inter- or on uh, the real presence and the doubt, I mean, uh, the great the great miracles, uh, Eucharistic miracles often touch upon uh, a questioning people or a questioning person. So the, the famous one in Lanciano, if you want to go look that up, if you, if you haven't heard of it, it's worth really looking at the Eucharistic miracle of, Lanci- miracle of Lanciano. It was a monk who was celebrating Mass, and he just was doubting the real presence or grappling with his own faith. And it, 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 that's the, the Eucharist is transformed into flesh and blood right in front of him. It's a, it's a profound scientifically proven miracle. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah. But, but I think the power there is that like, here's a priest who, uh, yeah, is doubting, you know, and is struggling with his own faith. The one who we would expect to be out front. And like, of course he's convinced he's the priest. And the reality is we're all human beings. And at any given moment, we can look at the Eucharist through the lens of, of the senses, the material senses, and always have room to doubt. And, I personally, I remember going to that miracle actually in Italy and, and I had spent a long time preparing. And I was so excited to get there and I got right up to the monstrance. They let us come in after hours or a group of seminarians at the time. And my first reaction was, was of doubt. I looked at this, this scientifically proven Eucharistic miracle preserved for centuries. And I was like, I don't know if that's really the Lord. And I just like was stricken by, by the reality or the proximity of doubt, you know, that, that it's always right there. This, this, chance to doubt and in the end it's it's kind of pressing forward through that and and saying but but i do believe lord even if i if i struggle with all of the questions like what is transubstantiation what did you mean when you said do this in memory of me there's great theological debates about all of that and tons written on it but in the end it comes down to the human person beholding god in a very mysterious hidden form that's hard to believe because our senses tell us otherwise and so i think we just need to get comfortable with not not being scandalized when we grapple with with some doubt and rather say yeah. okay this is actually par for the course yeah. and and holy spirit come to the aid where my senses fail come to the aid of my weakness here and convict me of something that is so good that it actually brings me life the only way that i can receive the life that he promised which is to live forever so yeah it's it's a real thing and we're going to doubt and that's actually not what we do with that is the scandal. If we, if we stay in the doubt and turn from the Lord, that's painful. But, but if we grapple with the doubt and say, but I choose, Lord, I choose to make an act of faith. I believe in Jesus' name. Father, convince me more fully of this, of this truth. That's, a, that's the battle of faith, and we all have to grapple with that one. That's right. But then we've got our, yeah, yeah. I mean, acts of, faith, acts of faith, hope, and love, it's kind of an 
often forgotten practice just yeah. to, to cry out in faith or in hope or in love to say, Lord, I, I believe, help my unbelief, you know, as the father of the demoniac from scripture. Lord, I, I long for heaven. I hope for heaven, but, but increase my hope. Oh, Lord, I love you. I, I love my neighbor. I love the poor, but increase that love. We have, to, we have to exercise the faith, hope, and love that we have, but we can't increase them ourselves. They're, they're theological gifts. The Lord infuses the, the increase, and so we have to exercise what we have, show Him that we're desirous of more, and then beg like the Syrophoenician woman just relentlessly uh, to just keep on asking Him to increase our faith, our hope, and our love. That's, that's an infinitely valuable, uh, perennially valuable practice for all of us. Yeah, I remember reading a prayer that, in, in for that specific say, you are struggling with belief in the real presence, to beg the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Eucharist, to beg Jesus to give you a Eucharistic heart, a, a love for the Eucharist, and, mm. um, you know, when our Lord said, come, you know, and to just follow Him and trust, and so that's beautiful, because these are all simple things that... Um, are not complicated, just the name of Jesus and my Lord and my God. Oh, yeah, totally. The, 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 the cry of faith, and, and frankly, the things of our faith in, in metaphysical terms are actually, God himself is, is simple, which is, is kind of a confusing thing to think about. But like yeah. in, in metaphysics, we talk about the simplicity of God. It's a, it's a teaching of the church, the faith. So, so the things of God, God, God comes to us on a rather simple plane into our complexity, to, to draw things back together, to, to unite, you know, the scattered Israelites and the 12 tribes and the two divided kingdoms and all of that from the Old Testament is meant to be happening in our hearts. Wherever we are scattered and shattered and divided and fragmented, the Lord promises to draw everything back into communion, communion with his father and with his own heart. And so it actually very often is, is simpler than most of the ways we're trying to problem solve and navigate the tensions of life. It's not to say that we don't have to work through problems and figure out what we need to do because we're rational agents, but but beneath all of that is this recognition that like God is always present to us. God is always near us, awaiting our attention, our, our request for help, our willingness to knock at the door and ask that we might receive. And so the, the simple way, I mean, so many of the saints, Therese is a prime example, Brother Lawrence as well. Yeah. The, the, all these great saints who just remind us that like, God, we just have to invoke the Lord, invoke his holy name, turn our attention to him and, and really rely on him as little children would so that he can carry us through stuff that otherwise we're going to get snared up in because we're trying to solve problems that aren't really ours to fix. Father John Burns is here. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, also will be at the National Eucharistic Congress in July. And so we were talking about that. And I want to ask too, Father, about reverence. Uh, I was thinking about when I was in the Holy Land, I had a chance to spend an overnight locked in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which was incredible. But what you see mm. is perpetual liturgy all night, 24-7 in the Edicule, which tradition tells us is the empty tomb. And so different faith traditions, Orthodox, Coptic, Armenian, uh, Franciscan, they have um, different liturgy all through the evening. But what I noticed, I think it was Greek Orthodox, that this uh there were there was a couple and they went up to receive communion i, I i'm not a, you know, obviously if you're a roman catholic that's uh, not permissible for me to receive greek orthodox communion but as they went up to receive they then backed away from the host because they did not want to turn their back to our lord and again just the reverence i remember that image and certainly that must play a role too and how we reverence our lord whether it's at receiving communion or eucharistic adoration yeah it's so oh, it's vital to to foster 
a culture of devotion first yeah. and then and of reverence to our Lord's our Lord's presence, especially in the Eucharist. And those things like yeah, people approaching on their knees to great shrines or people uh, often Latino cultures will, will walk out of church, you know, walking backwards because they don't want to turn their back upon the Lord's presence. Yeah. And it was something that's kind of I, what I notice is like people tend to react to those signs of great piety and devotion in a way that it can often be like judgmental or uh, reductive and sometimes mocking. You know, uh, there's a lot of tension around receiving Holy Communion on the knees or on the tongue. Mm-hmm. But but I think it, inside of our hearts, when we notice resistance to those things. We we also ought to ask like why. Why does that person's reverence or devotion bother me? And, and once in a while, someone will be doing that in order to get attention. Of course, that's not an ordered response to the Lord in the Eucharist. But right. typically, the person is, is just moved to, to want to express in their body and the way they approach the Eucharist their belief that this is truly God. So it'll make me uncomfortable sometimes and other people uncomfortable, but, but I need to test that in my own heart. Like, what's making me uncomfortable? Am I realizing that I perhaps don't have that degree of devotion? And then like, rather than judging someone or dismissing them to say like, Lord, I, if this is really you, I want to act the way I ought to. And, and so foster in me the type of profound reverence that would, would lead me to, to respond to you the way you wish. And, and if that's a, increasing my reverence, then please God, like, let me, let me be reverent. I mean, oof, it's, it's God in the real presence. I mean, I, I love to pray in a church alone, actually, whenever I can, because I just, I lay flat on the floor. Like, I like yeah. to lay prostrate with my face bowed on the floor, because it's like, well, how else ought I be? I mean, I'm, I'm before God. Like, this is this is such a sacred gift. We just often forget that when, when Mass gets loud or busy or we move too quickly through the, the movements that are meant to be so sacred that are given to us in the Church's wisdom and the liturgy. But yeah, we just need to cultivate a foster, cultivate a, a, a spirit of reverence and then foster a culture of devotion, for sure. Cultivate a spirit of reverence and uh, devotion. I love that. We have to take a quick break. Father John Burns is here, a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, also the author of the best-selling book, Adore, a guided Advent journal for prayer and meditation and return, a Lent journal for prayer and meditation, and will be one of the speakers at the National Eucharistic Congress. We've been talking about that. All the information is available right now at relevantradio.com and also the app. More to come after the break with Father John Burns. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. We'll be right back here on Trending on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us. what we're talking about. The same Jesus who hung upon the cross is with us in the Most Holy Eucharist. Our part now, to lift him up in the monstrance, adore him who remains with us 
on earth under the appearance of bread. And we've been talking about the National Eucharistic Congress, the mission of Eucharistic revival. And joining us this hour, Father John Burns, a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and his doctoral research focused on the theology and healing through forgiveness. So much, Father, to your resume, really, but so the heart of it really sourced back to the Eucharist. And and thank you for being here with us this hour. I want to ask you about something that I heard you say, and that is the primacy of God must take precedence in our lives. We're in a season of Lent. It's such an excellent time to examine if we are living that exhortation. But how do we get there to know Truly. I mean, I'm thinking about when I was back in secular media, if you would have said that, I would have agreed and applauded. But then I was so steeped in secular ethics, what I was likely worshiping was my own ideas. And of course, it takes conversion and humility. So how do we know if we're on the right track where the primacy of God is precedent in our life? Yeah, it's a a steady theme of my preaching, mostly because of my own experience of just letting other people dictate too much of my sense of self, my worth, how I understand even the effectiveness and efficacy of my apostolates as a priest. Like, we're always receiving input from other people, right? The way they look at us, the way they respond to us, the way they praise us or don't praise us. And that's all, that's not going away. That's actually a part of human life and living in common with other people. But I notice in myself and in so many people that I walk with this tendency to to let the, those those other people and the people around us really have a strong say, like we give a lot of authority to how we're perceived and how people respond to us. And and often what's happening is we're actually dethroning the Lord or or letting letting other people have the first place in defining who we are and how we're doing. And I just have realized like how frankly that's that's the idolatry of the Old Testament is letting something take the place of God and then giving that thing authority as though it could save us and treating it like it's got saving power. And C.S. Lewis is just well, uh, says everything well. And he says, uh, the, the, the tragedy of idol worship is that idols always end up breaking the hearts of those who worship them. Because, and I'll add to his, his wisdom, because the, the idol's not strong enough to receive what we put on it, which is a desire to be saved, to be made well, to know truly ourselves in light of truth. So the primacy of God, the Lord has to be the first one who speaks the truth of our identity. As sons and daughters, I mean, the prime project of Jesus is to adopt us into his father's household, to make us friends, not slaves any longer. And, and that's, a, that's a big theological idea. And to apply it or even to test whether it's like taken root, if you will, we just have to notice how we relate to other people and how much, let's say, everybody at work or in, in my family, they're all upset with me. They tell me I, I messed up really bad. How do I, what do I do with that? And if I notice, I tend to spiral pretty deep and I'll, I'll head into the caverns of, of my own thoughts and, and not really come out for quite a while. There's a good chance that the Lord is not the first one speaking my identity to me. And I've got to really assess that first and foremost. And then noticing perhaps that I've given secondary and tertiary voices a little too much authority. Then I've got to set up a place to hear the primary voice. And the only place we really hear the primary voice is in our own interior life, like the voice of God. And so developing, cultivating a, a, a robust interior life, that's a, a large project and there's a ton of great things written on it. But ultimately for every one of us, we just, we've got to take the time to sit down and be quiet even for a couple minutes and just turn our attention to God and, and in that place to rest without filling the air with words and, and even thoughts if possible and just say, Lord, I welcome you. Tell me who I am. I welcome you. 
to, to show me the truth of, of who you've made me to be, who I'm becoming, who I could be if I received all your grace without any resistance. And that for each of us, there's no roadmap to that. There's no like step one, two, three, though we can articulate some helpful stuff. That has to be the, the dance of the soul in the interior life with God, author, creator, and lover of our souls. And, and nothing else, if we don't establish that kind of like quiet, even just again for a couple minutes a day, where it starts and it should expand hopefully from there. But if we don't establish that, we're going to find ourselves always on the rocky road and the stormy seas of letting other people determine our worth and our, our sense of self, which is just such a trap. So yeah. first recognizing perhaps places where we've given secondary and tertiary voices too much authority and then to repent of that. And then in, in littleness, weakness, humility to come before the Lord and say, all right, Lord, I want to return to the truth. And only you can bestow upon me the truth of who I am and how you see me. So just to, to give the Lord that space to speak that truth. And when we put those things in place, man, the Lord, the Lord is good to us. I mean, he's waiting for that kind of permission to tell us who we really are. And so as we start to make that shift, we just almost always never start to recognize, okay, here are the lies. And here's the truth. And the truth is much more powerful. And actually, as Jesus says, it's the truth that sets me free. Amen. I, and I heard you quote, I think it was Mother Mary Francis, poor Claire, people become lovely when we know, when we're loved. Yeah, it's a great line, isn't it? It's true. Yeah. But yeah, we, have to when, when we're loved, that. we want to be our best. Yeah, that's right. As we wrap up, you're going to be one of the presenters at the National Eucharistic Congress. What are you most looking forward to? What's your heart's desire with this upcoming July event? Well, I mean, overall, at the high level, just this, this great opportunity as a nation, as a, as a church in the United States, to, to reemphasize something that has always been at the center in objective, standardized terms, but we have often marginalized or forgotten or walked away from, which is the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. So to have everybody talk about the same thing for an extended, a prolonged period of time, I love the effect that that's having on the church. The fact that we're moving toward the Congress and these processions across the country that are going to draw tons of attention nationally from, from secular and religious outlets, that's going to be like this massive attention getter. And then I just can't wait. I mean, I'm privileged to do a, a number of different type of large events, you know, like the women's conference we just did, focus conferences, the student bill conferences. Some people are critical of large events because like, well, but the day-to-day is lived in my parish, which it is. But when you get together with a group of people who you don't always really know, and it's a large group of people, something happens in the heart where you're like, okay, holy moly, I'm not alone. And not only am I not alone, like there are a lot of people with me and these people are on fire and I want that fire. Jesus, give me that fire. So I'm excited just to see what it looks like in Lucas Oil Stadium down in Indianapolis to just be around tens of thousands of believers who are hungry and want the fire of our Lord and want to know more deeply the power of the Eucharist. They're, that's going to that's gonna spill back into the parishes and back into our families and back in our communities in ways that's just going to and there's going to be this this energy flow uh, of, of vitality, of fire, of life, and of love going out of the Congress. It's going to be beautiful to watch. We get to shepherd that in our diocese and our parishes. But, but above all else, I'm just I'm pumped to see this many people come together for one thing, which is the one thing, uh, our Lord present to us in the Eucharist. It's, I, I know it's going to be heavily anointed. We need it. Oh, and is it time? And to know that you are there and just the collection of souls is extraordinary from religious to the laity, uh, you know, moms, scholars, everything in between children. And what a, what an amazing and immense sea of grace that we are just waiting to receive and anticipation. Uh, as we wrap up, Father, would you give us a blessing and thank you again for your time? 
Oh, for sure. Great honor to be with you all. I haven't been on in a long time. I used to do the inner life a lot, so I'm really yes. happy to be back with you guys. And yeah, let me give you a blessing. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. <sighs> Gracious God, we bow before you in awe in this moment. We just pause wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we just pause. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to, to just fill the space of our hearts, the quiet we muster within. And Lord, as you fill us, please convict us anew, afresh, of the power of your love, of your presence in our midst, your desire to be with us in all the details, including the painful and difficult places, as much as the joyful and beautiful ones. Stir up in the hearts of listeners like right now in this moment, Lord, every grace, pierce them by your tender and loving gaze. And through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, gracious God, pour out abundance upon them. Dear brothers and sisters, my friends in Christ, may Almighty God anoint you, may he heal you, may he bless you, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father John Burns, thank you again. God bless you. The Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky is next. Thank you, as always, to producer Jim Shaper, Brooke Taylor filling in. Timory's back tomorrow. God bless you.